Hey friends, welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Wilcox, and I'm so glad you're here. During this time, we carve out sacred space to reflect on our God-authored stories, to hear from women in the chapters of their stories, and to think about God's greater story around the world. I'm excited to introduce ordinary yet brave women who are declaring God's faithfulness. I'm honored to be on the journey with you. Here's this week's episode. Friends, thank you so much for joining us on the Sacred Story Podcast today. I'm thrilled that we're going to have an awesome conversation with a woman who's living her story with resilience and courage, and that is Autumn Crew. Hey, Autumn, welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Well, we're glad you're here, and I remember meeting you while I was overseas, and we were I was in your roommate's apartment. Well, y'all hadn't quite moved in and you popped in to bring some stuff over and started sharing as I asked about your story. And I was just enraptured by all that God had done uh, in and through your life. So I'm excited to share with more people and um, see how they can uh, gain courage and strength as well. And so give us a little bit of an idea. How did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah. Um, my story of coming to know Jesus is definitely uh, more one of process rather than uh, having a really distinct defining moment. But um, I grew up, I moved around a bit, but um, spent a lot of time in the Bible Belt of the States. Um, so I was definitely exposed to certain parts of Christianity. Um, but I had a ton of doubt and questions and um, a lot of complexity to swim through. And I didn't know that I hadn't heard the full story. Um, I, I actually had never heard the full gospel until I was 18. So, um, yeah, I, I had a lot of doubt and, um, really big questions and quite a few intellectual hangups, um, that would keep me up at night and, um, that, Wow. Kind of, yeah, almost um, deterred me from wanting to know more or to fully give my life to Jesus. Um, so I, the Lord took me through a really cool process of um, leaving my hometown, getting out of that bubble, um, and just being able to swim through all of those doubts and questions um, to work through them so that by the time I got on board, I was fully on board because I worked through all my doubts on the front end um, to the point where, you know, I had gotten a lot of answers for all those questions and I knew what I was signing up for, if that makes sense. Sure. And, you know, I, I experienced the same thing when I was 19. I started hearing more about Christianity. I also had grown up um, in the church at times, but I didn't understand as you, as you mentioned, that why Jesus had to die for me and what that meant and how I could know him personally. And so, but I remember having intellectual questions. And at that time, the Josh McDowell was one of the writers that was looked to for, you know, why, how can we trust who Jesus said he was? And so I read more than a carpenter. I read part of evidence that demands a verdict. And I appreciate that you also wrestled with some intellectual questions. What helped you or were there resources as you, um, you know, looked into that process? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one of my biggest hangups was just being able to believe in the reputability of the Bible. Um, and, you know, just being able to trust it as a valid historical document, um, which is, is great because there are a ton of resources to prove. Um, there's a lot of scientific evidence for, um, how credible it is. So that was great because, um, I was very logical and practical and I had, um, just very literal questions for, you know, how, how do we know how much of this happened and, um, how do we know how it was passed on through history and translated and it's changed hands. And, Mm. um, Mm -hmm. it's easy to, to study those things, you know, it's not, um, there are answers to those questions. It's not something that we, we have to just Mm -hmm. ignore and hope that it's, um, valid. You know, there, there's a lot of evidence for the Bible being one of the most reputable historical documents of all time. Um, Mm. If you're a person who likes history or believes in any history being passed down through centuries, um, then you know how Mm -hmm. to kind of look into those things to, um, yeah, to watch the process of information being passed on um, and how to, to verify what's valid and how it might've been changed. And um, yeah, it was, it was really helpful for me to understand that, um, there's scientific evidence. There are answers to those questions. There has been so, so much research done. Um, so it's not just all fluff that we're supposed to get on board with. Um, yes. and that was, that was really helpful for me just in understanding that, um, there's a lot out there to look into. So. It's so true. And God's not scared of our questions and he's not scared of our doubts. And you mentioned going out of town and getting kind of getting away to go through this process. Where did you go and how did that help you? Yeah. So I went to New Zealand. Um, Oh, I love New Zealand. That's a great place (laughs) to go no matter what you're looking for (laughs) or processing. Yeah, there is no, nothing wrong there. <laughs> just, there's no bad reason to go to New Zealand <laughs> right. for anyone at any time. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of, I knew that I wanted to get out of my hometown bubble. Um, and like I said, I had a lot of doubts and questions. And I didn't necessarily feel safe to vocalize them. Um, but I also knew that I wasn't fully going to be able to define who I was and what path I wanted to take in life until I figured out um, what I believed spiritually. So I was really hungry to define like who's mm. God and who am I. Um, but I knew sure. that I was going to need to work through some of those really big um, religious and spiritual questions and doubts that I had. Um, so New Zealand was a little bit of a, um, a kind of a random choice of I want to get as far away <laughs> from my hometown as possible, but I need to go somewhere English speaking <laughs> and I need to go somewhere yes. safe. So, um, and they have yeah. great accents in New Zealand. Oh, they have so many lovely things. <laughs> obviously a very appealing place to go, especially we, for an We need to do a podcast on New Zealand. Anyway, okay, so you were there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I had a, 
a lot of time and space to swim through all those doubts. And uh, there was no pressure on me to be a certain thing or believe a certain thing. I could just be mm-hmm. completely honest about um, where I was at and what I struggled with and the fact that I I really didn't know what I believed yet. Um, mm-hmm. And through that process, I found out that I had never heard the full story of the gospel. I didn't actually know what Jesus had to do with me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, w- I was in a safe place to vocalize that because no one knew who I was um, and mm-hmm. there was no expectation for me to, to be a certain thing. So, um, I mean, that's really how I came to know Jesus. And I feel like the Lord was very patient with me in showing me that um, both that there were answers to a lot of my questions and also that um, you do have to have faith when you come to the end of your own intellect because our minds Mm -hmm. are finite and we're not supposed to be able to fully comprehend the fullness of God um, because he's God. So it it was a, a really exciting and fun growth process of, um, both realizing that there's a lot of research to answer my questions. And then there are a lot of questions that, um, I, I want to hold well, like to be a steward of the mystery, as the word says, um, in trusting, um, in faith in God being who he says he is and, uh, being able to hold those really big questions that, I can't fully understand the answers to yet because I'm human. Um, and that's where mm-hmm. faith comes in. Um, so yeah, it, mm-hmm. it was a, a dual process of finding answers to questions and also um, letting go of having complete control and kind of surrendering that to, to be able to put my faith into something that was way bigger than me. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, mm-hmm. New Zealand was the perfect place for me to do that. And you had believers around you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the greatest gift of being there. I, I not only had believers around me, but I had believers who were comfortable with me swimming through those doubts and, um, who were not intimidated by me saying, you know what? I don't know what Jesus dying has to do with anything. <laughs> I, I don't understand yeah. how that pertains to me. Um, and, you know, I had never heard of blood atonement or anything like that. I didn't know anything about the story. Um, yeah. I had just heard yeah. people say, Jesus died for your sins. Um, and that's a pretty confusing mm-hmm. thing if you have no context. So having mm-hmm. believers mm-hmm. who not only knew the word and loved the Lord, um, but were also very comfortable with me um, expressing doubt and almost kind of playing devil's advocate on some of these concepts that I didn't understand yet. Um, mm-hmm. and just letting me go through that process and, and affirming me and saying, that's a, that's a great question. Let's talk about it. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for mm-hmm. that. And it, it has definitely made me want to have that same disposition towards other people who are searching and doubting because that's how I came to faith. 
Yes, and it's so true that we can pray to be safe people, people that can, they can bring their questions to us without us shutting it down or giving them, you know, no space to process or shaming. And, and I don't think that's done intentionally, but at times it can be like, gosh, you don't know this or, or you kind of, you get that feeling of like, can I really bring this doubt um, to a person? So I think that can be a prayer for all of us to be that person who yeah. can, can let others give them the permission to go through process. We're people of process and God is a God of process. And so, and sometimes he does things, you know, who knows quicker than others, but we all have our process. And so I'm so glad that you had those around you who could be, uh, be able and be available to let you go through your process. And so, um, so you come to faith and you're living in New Zealand. What happens next? Yeah, so I, I had the benefit of um, already being overseas and far from my home in some ways because um, one of the first things that I started learning about Jesus as I looked into um, what it's like to follow him in terms of um, literally following in his footsteps and doing what he did and living how he lived um, in my search in how to mimic his life in some ways. Um, yeah. The, one of the first things I saw was, uh, his ministry, you know, and obviously a lot of what we have in the word about his life is his ministry. So, um, one of the first things that I engaged in after giving my life to him was ministry, whether you want to call it ministry or missions or outreach, um, just engaging Mm -hmm. in the needs around us, um, whether they're physical, practical needs or, um, spiritual poverty, um, mm-hmm. have never been exposed to the gospel. Um, but we see that Jesus was constantly engaged, um, with the needs of the people around him and, um, yes. yeah, just immediately diving into that after I gave my life to him was such a gift. Um, it, it has really mm. shaped my, my walk with the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. so, I went straight from New Zealand um, into um, that sort of outreach capacity. Um, And I had just gotten saved, so I was on fire. Um, I got (laughs) baptized in New Zealand shortly after I turned 19 and um, Mm. came up out of the water and went straight to, I want everyone to be this free. Um, So, yeah, I, I went to a a tiny little series of islands in the Pacific called Vanuatu. Um, and uh, that was the first place that I kind of did um, missions or whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm. was the, the first place that I really engaged in that. Okay. And how did you continue to serve those around you in that capacity? Were you, um, you know, what, who were you reaching out to or what, what did your average day look like? Oh man, it was messy. Um, <laughs> as like a young new believer who knew very little about anything, um, I I was God uses us no matter oh, where we are in our faith journey. He really does. Looking back, it, it's crazy because he shouldn't have used me at all, but he did. Um, and yes. yeah, it, it was definitely mostly trial and error. Um, and I think a lot of us who engage in missions for the first time have um, a, 
a lot more ignorance than we realize about um, what is effective and what's damaging. Um, so I yeah. had to kind of go through that process of being raised in the States. We all have a, a stereotypical idea of, quote, missions trips. Um, and a lot of those constructs really break down when you start engaging long term. Um, yeah. So it, it was messy and I learned a ton. But um, yeah, Vanuatu is very remote. Um, it's a series of tribal islands. Um that's wow. fairly unexposed to the Western world. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's you're kind of in the bush. Um, it's extremely remote. We lived outside. Um, wow. And, yeah, tried our best to connect with local people. Um, uh, thankfully, I was with a team of other Pacific Islanders who were drastically more acclimated to the culture because they had grown up um, in close proximity to it. So, yeah, you know, a lot of it was watching and learning from them, um, which was really mm -hmm. helpful for me and knowing how to engage the locals. Wow. Okay. So I do want to get to what you're doing currently. And so give us a little bit of an idea of how things played out um, in those years to come so that you ended up in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, man, it was quite a story um, connecting the dots from uh, when I was 19 in Vanuatu all the way till now when I'm serving in the Middle East. So much happened in between. Um, I'm sure. I wish yeah. we had hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, the only way that I would be able to tell the whole timeline is if I did it in bullet points. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had an unexpected um, series of events. One thing just led to the next and I never planned on, um, bouncing around and changing regions. I've, I've always pictured myself planting somewhere long-term. Um, but because it unfolded that way, I can now look back and see that the Lord was really teaching me something specific and unique in each region that I've worked in. Um, so I went from uh, the South Pacific, after serving in Vanuatu, I went back to New Zealand, um, and I started pursuing counter-trafficking work in India and Southeast Asia. I had known that I wanted to um, to work in some form of anti-trafficking since I was really young. Um, mm. So after mm. I got saved, I realized, oh, this is going to be um, my vehicle to, to doing missions and ministry, um, rather than just like a, you mm. know a separated thing where that was going to be my career. Um, but I would just kind of do it in as more of a social justice endeavor. Um, but yeah, after I got saved, that kind of became the, the route that I wanted to serve and engage people through. Um, so yeah. I, I started doing that in India and Southeast Asia. Um, I guess when I was 20, um, and learned so much about the world of um, fighting sex trafficking and, again, what it's like mm -hmm. to do that effectively and what it's like to do it in a way that's damaging. Um, and mm -hmm. so, so much learning and growing and being stretched. Um, and, yeah, I learned a ton. I, I loved um, – I was living in Southeast Asia and loved my life and – was really enjoying um, getting to work in 
intervention and rehabilitation with trafficking victims. Um, and the Lord started speaking to me about the Middle East, um, which was really unexpected for me. Never wanted to live or work in that region of the world. Um, yeah. Didn't you say you were watching something on TV or you prayed or something God prompted you after your prayer for the Middle East? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was actually reading the news. So okay, in okay. August of 2014, um, th- that mass ISIS invasion um, that was kind of the first really big one to hit the news. Um, there was a lot of news coverage on um, ISIS's invasion into Sinjar and, um, you know, the civil war in Syria was, had already broken out, but uh, was getting worse. And there was a lot of news coverage on Iraq and Syria. Um, yeah. And just really violent, bloody war going on there. And it, mm-hmm. it was um, a hot topic in the news uh, in August 2014 because there was this really sudden uh, terrorist invasion where um, ISIS was slaughtering anyone who wouldn't bow to Islam. So um, I was reading the, the news of this and um, obviously it's terrible and it's heartbreaking. And I just, my first reaction was, I don't know what else to do, but pray. Um, so I, the first thing that I prayed was God send, send helpers, send workers and laborers, um, and mobilize the church to be the people who meet this need and who show up in this time of trouble for the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I don't always hear the Lord very clearly. So when you know when there's something that I feel like is really sharp and loud and clear, it, it stands out to me a ton because it's not a super common experience for me. But I do feel like the Lord responded to me after I prayed that and said, "Don't pray that prayer if you're not willing to go." Um, and I was. Shocked. Powerful. I like, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was like, what? I, I'm already out here. I'm already serving. Like I was <laughs> right. I've got my my post. Yeah. I, I was really surprised because I just I was not thinking about myself when I asked yeah. God to send laborers. I I was definitely thinking, oh, mobilize other people. Um mm-hmm. and it, it took me off guard. And if I'm honest, I I, I was almost offended. Like, God, do you not see what I'm already doing? Like, I'm right. I'm giving my life in Cambodia. I'm, all my blood, sweat, and tears are already going into something. Um, yes. But, uh, yeah, from there, I, I pushed back against it really hard, but it just wouldn't go away. Um, and the Lord continued to speak to me about the Middle East um, and how incredibly unique and significant that region of the world is um, Mm, mm, until mm. I eventually (laughs) gave up and submitted to it. Um, So I was, I was by the next year. (laughs) There's a story behind you giving up and submit. I remember this part because I remember, Oh my goodness. Okay. So you, you um, have to tell us how this all played out though, for you to give up and submit because I remember some of these details. Oh man. Yeah. Um, it makes They're me amazing. Like a crazy person. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. It's a great story. It's, it's so creative. <laughs> yeah. Creative of God. Not the funnest yeah. for me, but <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah. 
I, uh, very long story short, I, I got in a terrible bike wreck in Cambodia and, um, which is horrible. Kind of... I know that's, yeah, that's not the creative <laughs> part, but <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, I do believe that God is kind. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> right. Yeah, this is, is just an interesting way that it panned out because I don't think I ever would have left my work in Cambodia for the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was invested and I loved it. And, um, mm-hmm. I was attached to the point of placing some of my identity in it. So, I just don't think that um, I would have left to reroute to a region that I didn't want to go to unless something really dramatic and jarring happened. So it did. Yeah, Um, you're right. And I got in this bike wreck and um, essentially had to fly back to the States for surgery um, to be able to recover from that. I still fought it for um, a long time, stayed in Cambodia, um, prolonging that whole process and just damaging my injuries further because I just didn't want to leave. Um, Mm. but I, I was determined to find a way to get the, the surgery that I needed within the region so that I didn't have to leave. And it was just impossible. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of things played out to, to set me up to be kind of forced to go home, um, to get this, um, (laughs) really extreme yeah. surgery that I desperately needed, um, yeah, yeah. to be able to even function again. Um, and ended up yeah, back but in the States. Sorry. Who was the person? I remember that there was a specific person that reached out to you from the United States, a doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. An orthopedic surgeon who reached out to me while I was still in Cambodia, who, um, had caught wind of the story through a little grapevine um, mm-hmm. and actually offered to perform my surgery for free. Um, so it was a, it's amazing. Uh, oh, massive, massive answer to my cries for help. Um, even though it's not necessarily the answer that I wanted, it was an undeniable, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, coverage of a huge need that I had because I never would have been able to, to pay for, a surgery that extensive. Um, so yeah, at that point I knew the Lord is covering me to be able to go home and mm-hmm. he's taking such good care of me. Um, and it's purely just my resistance that's keeping me here. So I, I um, flew to, to Dallas, I had never been to Texas before. Yeah. And, um, oh, yeah. welcome to Texas. <laughs> that's where I am. To, uh, yeah. Most people don't go, uh, to get their surgery done, but that's, that's just what I did. So ended yeah, up back in yeah. the States and, um, yeah, I, I think I was at that point, I was kind of at my breaking point and was like, all right, God, what, what are you saying about the Middle East? And the first time that I kind of approached him with a willing and open heart. Yes. And I, I know that God, like you said, he uses all things to bring us to the place where we are available to him. And I think that your story is just another example of God's drawing us and wooing us and winning us. Not only does he win us to salvation, right? But then he, he kind of woos us and wins us to his will. And when we're um, willing to at least give that, um, that hand, open our hand somewhat. (laughs) So, so I, um, 
I think that's a beautiful example of him caring for you um, by bringing you back and to have the surgery done without cost. So did you ever go back to Cambodia? No, no, I didn't. Um, I, I really wanted to, but I haven't yet. Maybe one day. Okay, so that just kind of ended, right? That that um, once you got back and had the surgery, you, you just let go of the Cambodia um, life that you had lived. Is that right? Is that what you were telling no, me? No, not once I got back. It took me a while um, <laughs> yeah. just to, to let go of something that I yeah. was very attached to, um, which was the know, process. I, yeah, it was all my investment, my work, and my it, you know just the the control of this is my baby. Um, mm-hmm, so it, mm-hmm. it, it took me a while, um, mm-hmm. to, to get over that to the point where I, mm-hmm. I wasn't bitter anymore. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and as soon as I surrendered it to embrace, um, the new region that the Lord was rerouting me to, um, yeah, I just felt so free and like a, a burden had kind of lifted off my shoulders of having to force my hand. Um, and sure doors started flying open at that point. And, um, of course it's, you know, the, the yoke of the Lord is easy and his burden is light. And when he reroutes us or asks us to do something that we wouldn't expect, or maybe that we're not excited about, he, uh, he definitely makes a way and gives us the grace that we need to thrive there. Um, so it's, it's been stunning ever since I embraced what he was asking me to do, but it took that surrender in my own heart and my mm-hmm. own rebellion um, mm-hmm. to be able to experience the joy of what he was inviting me into. You know, and I think that's so true as we live our stories, whether it entails going to another country and serving or just serving in, you know, the place where we have been planted here in the United States. But but I think it's so true that our identity can be so wrapped up in something that God can't move us on because we're we're just we're we're clinging to that identity wrapped up in that, and I think that's a good word for all yeah. of us and our story and our chapters. Let let our hearts be at the place where they can be um, able to respond to something that we didn't plan and maybe even didn't really want necessarily immediately and that the Lord, we can hear the Lord. And so I love that you were obedient and that you did open your heart. So what happened when you went to the Middle East? Uh, well, I, uh, I got to continue, uh, kind of in the same general field that I I had been working in counter trafficking. And yeah, I know for sure that um, the Lord led me to that and he, he knew my heart for that. Um, so I, I got to work in a, a safe house for former ISIS captives that, um, were oh my goodness. the very people that I was praying for when I was reading about, um, ISIS's invasion into Sinjar, um, the, the very villages and families that were prey to that, um, were the people that I ended up working with in Iraq. Um, so yeah, and it just, it happened very naturally and, um, it it was very breezy, um, which is not, not usually the case. So I knew it was the Lord, but, um, I, I'm glad you were there, that you were a light there in such a dark place. Yeah, it, it was amazing. I, I felt really honored, uh, to be a part of the work there and, um, to, to get to meet the, 
incredible. We were working with Yazidi Kurds, um, and oh, wow. they, they were just an absolute delight. They're such a beautiful people. Um, can you explain a little bit for those who may not know the Yazidi Kurds, just what, yeah. who they are? Yeah, they're a really unique people group. Um, the Kurds are a, a much larger people group that has been dispersed through Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Turkey. Um, so the, the point at which those four nations meet, um, the, that area is the primary place in the world where the Kurds reside. Um, Mm. So they they don't have their own land to officially call Kurdistan yet. So that region is referred to as Kurdistan, even though it's not technically a country. Um, so they are already unique um, as a people group, and their their story is really wild. Um, but the Yazidi Kurds are an even smaller section of that larger people group who um, okay follow a religion uh being yazidi is almost just as much an ethnicity as it is a religion um in the middle east ethnicity and religion are very intertwined um Mm -hmm. way more so than they are for us typically in western cultures um so you you do have to kind of specify case by case when someone identifies as yazidi if they mean um their ethnicity or their religion or both um Mm. So, yeah, these happen to be um, Kurdish-speaking Yazidis who um, are just, they're, they're very, very persecuted, very oppressed historically, um, just a ton of uh, hatred and oppression and genocide oh, against gosh. them. So, um, oh, that's horrible. So, Tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a big deal for them to, to have an ally um, and to have foreigners uh, from a different nation come in and say, we're with you. We're standing with you. Um, not only do we want to be an ally to you, but we want to serve you and love you in any way that we can while you're going through this. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was it was beautiful. I, of course, I learned as much from them as uh, they learned from me, if not far more, um, which yeah, is typically right. how it right. goes. But, um, yes. It was a huge honor to, to get to sit with them in their time of um, – you know, grieving and mourning and mm, recovering mm. from, um, you know, that wake of um, just massacre that swept through mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When, when ISIS was really um, prevalent in that area. So um, it was really hard, of course, really stretching, um, but absolutely worth it and back again um, to get to be there with them and um, we ran a, a trauma therapy program in the safe house that they were coming into that we were running. Oh, um, wow. And um, cool. it was just beautiful to see the Lord healing them after what they had been through. It was really stunning. I bet. Beauty for ashes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that you were there. Now, I know what many of us are thinking right now is well, did you feel safe? What about safety? Yeah, uh, it's definitely the most common question that I get. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and I have um, quite a few answers to that, and I, I don't have time to give them all. But um, above all else, the the thing that I come back to is just um, the word doesn't call us to prioritize 
safety and comfort and self-preservation mm. above all else. Mm. Um, it, it actually calls us to um, follow the, the commandments of God and let him be our protector and provider. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're not mm. supposed to be our own security and safety. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I, I was well aware of the danger around me. You, you can't live in that region and be ignorant of it. Um, you have to be yeah. on alert. You have to be wise. You have to be aware and keep your eyes mm-hmm. peeled and um, be smart about what you're doing and how you do it. You can't afford to um, kind of just brush it off and, and not pay attention. Um, but at the same time, ultimately, um, my safety and um, whatever happens to me is in the hands of God. And I trust him to um, to take care of me how he sees fit. And um, I, I think that his provision and his protection of us doesn't always come in the form of like nothing bad happens to us, you know, because we're promised persecution in the word. Um, sure. But it more comes in the form of I will give you what you actually need. Um, Because what we most need is not safety and comfort. Um, Mm -hmm. And he absolutely did provide for me what I actually needed. Mm -hmm. I felt incredibly at peace. I felt very held. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I don't remember a shred of fear hindering me from what I was doing because I knew that the Lord um, led me there and was sustaining me. and that feeling is the safest feeling in the world. I, I feel way mm-hmm. safer mm-hmm. Um, being in Iraq when God tells me to go to Iraq than I do being in America mm-hmm. when he told me to go to Iraq. Um, so, uh, yes. yeah, it's just a, um, a peace that I think that the Holy Spirit grants us when we are mm-hmm. um, listening to him. Yes, and that... That is proven true in my life as well. Whenever I've gone to places that might seem like, oh, how can you protect yourself or what would happen? But I always say the safest place to be is in God's will. And so it sounds like the Holy Spirit was just enveloping you as you poured out. And so I know you continue to work in the area of sex trafficking. Give us a little bit of an idea of what is the reality of a woman becoming enslaved? Um, um in anywhere or in a specific region where where you are or in that area yeah what mm-hmm. how how is that playing out it's so heartbreaking yeah well um unfortunately it happens a number of different ways it really depends on um context you know um mm-hmm. the the nation and the situation that the woman is in and um there's a lot of factors that contribute to um slavery in the Middle East and how it looks and how it happens. Um, so it's not, mm-hmm. it's not usually one thing. Context matters a lot, but, um, the women that I'm working with now, um, are typically enslaved by, um, a couple specific areas of vulnerability that traffickers prey on. Um, and those, um, for the women that I'm working with at the moment are usually, um, poverty, lack of education, lack of employment, um, mm-hmm. areas of desperation, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that, um, traffickers prey on to, um, trick and 
fraud people. Um, so yeah. it's really, it, it's complex. It's not a, as simple as people think. Um, of course it happens mm-hmm. through um, brute force and kidnap sometimes. Mm. Um, mm. But often it's trickery and mm-hmm. um, fraud and lies. And um, it's more likely that someone's um, ID would get stolen um, then their physical body gets thrown in a van. Um, mm-hmm. But, you mm-hmm. know, traffickers know how to control people once they get a hold of their passport. And then at that point, they're an illegal alien. Um, so there's all kinds of situations like that that um, contribute and mm-hmm. cause trafficking. So, um, yeah, we um, we try to do education and awareness uh, mm-hmm. in vulnerable populations uh, to make sure that um, women are getting educated on how it happens and uh, what to look out for, um, and families are getting educated on how to protect their daughters. Um, so it, it looks a variety of different ways, but um, yeah, it, it's all about examining your areas of vulnerability um, or the vulnerability of the people that you work with, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, learning how to. Um, come in and protect them against those areas of vulnerability as a preventative measure for them getting trafficked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you're standing against the forces of darkness who are bent on killing, stealing and destroying. Um, And so, and this is one way that they, um, that the enemy fights to, to destroy and destroy a woman's life um, and others men I know men and children are also damaged in yeah. this in trafficking yeah. how does that how, how does that happen with men and children we usually think about um, women but what would you say that you see with men and children yeah um, all children are susceptible um, in in some ways like one mm-hmm. of the many areas of vulnerability that can cause trafficking um, is age. Um, so, yeah, you look at your gender, um, you look at your socioeconomic class, you look at your education level, you look at your age, um, all, all kinds of things like that. So you can be vulnerable simply because you're a child. Um, and mm-hmm. um, the same way you can be vulnerable simply because you're a female. Um, so there are... Um, lots of male victims, um, especially in regions of the world where um, child sexual abuse is common. Um, a lot of mm. boys are abused at a young age. And of course, that's damaging to their psyche. And it leads them down a path of destruction mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. Um, that also leaves them really susceptible to being trafficked. So um, yeah, that happens a lot in um, Southeast Asia, where I worked before, there's a, a lot mm. of um, boys fall prey to that. Um, there, it's also really common for um, young boys to be exposed to either sexual abuse or to the commercial sex trade at a young age in the Middle East. Um, so, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, it just creates a um, a whole culture of unhealthy mm-hmm. sexuality mm-hmm. in many different ways mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and makes it really hard um, to develop um, a healthy 
idea of your own sexuality um, as you mm-hmm. become an adult. So, yeah, um, typically um, men are the perpetrators and the market and um, the traffickers and the pimps and the johns, you know, are obviously mm-hmm. most commonly male. Um but it it gets murky when you realize that many of them were abused at such a young age that it that is where they started spiraling out into the the life that they're leading now. Um, so men's role in trafficking, which um, is pretty much all of it, there are are very f- there are female perpetrators, but they're rare. Um, so obviously they create and sustain the trafficking industry. Um, but, but it's complex. Um, it's not as simple as, um, you know, they all had good lives and were given what they needed and then just decided to be evil. Um, Mm -hmm. it really Mm -hmm. comes from a a lack of identity and a, a deep void, um, in their souls. So, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard to say, um, to pick a certain category of person and to say their role in trafficking is X, Y, and Z, um, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of gray area in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so helpful to hear from your perspective as you've walked alongside people and you've seen God deliver. Can you share a story of a woman in particular who's um, been delivered or come to faith as you've been in this harvest? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think of, um, multiple different faces of people I've worked with and, um, man, it just, it's like, it makes me so joyful to think about, um, specific people who, um, I've seen experience deliverance and healing. Um, I'm thinking of, of one specific, um, young woman that, I worked alongside in the safe house in Iraq the first time that I was there, um, in Uh 2015. And, um, she, at the time she was in a a really, really rough place and her, her situation and what had been done to her. And, um, yeah, the, the way that her life looked at the point when I first met her was, um, really heartbreaking. And I, did my best to be supportive of her and to be a sister to her. Um, and we had a lot of conversations about, um, the situation that she was in and, um, what she wanted and, um, about faith and yeah, just spent a lot of time together, but she was always very close to my heart. Um, Mm. and, uh, let's think that was 2015. I left and, um, I actually lost track of her. It's a long story, but um, it, it looked like it was really bad. Like the situation that she was in was just really dangerous. And it looked mm. like her life was going um, downhill and I lost track of her and was wow. always um, a little bit worried about what had happened to her. Three oh, years that later. That feels so helpless. Yeah. yeah Go yeah. ahead. Um Three years later, I uh, was talking with a friend of mine who works in the same city that I was living in when I knew her um, and um, figured out through conversation um, that he actually now works with her. She's a part of his organization. Um, 
uh, doing ministry and with other local Kurds and found out that she actually, um, not only did she get out of that situation, but she met Jesus and, uh, gave her life to the Lord and is so passionate and so on fire and, um, is introducing a ton of her family and friends and community to Jesus as well. Um, she, she Mm -hmm. got back on her feet. She's doing really well. Um, and oh, yeah, awesome. she just has an amazing testimony, but, um, it, it looked so scary at the time in 2015. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I've just felt really sad for everything that she was going through. And I, I couldn't imagine her being, um, delivered from all of it and being a totally new person. But, um, mm-hmm. thank God I got to hear, um, I kind of basically caught wind of, um, her story three years down the line. Um, and it just, man, I was just in awe of, um, what God can do over time with someone's life. Um, who, I mean, it looked pretty hopeless and, mm-hmm. um, now she's doing amazing. She has an incredible testimony and I was actually able to, um, get back into contact with her through my friend that's working with her now. Oh, good. Um, and yeah, we've reconnected now and, uh, she has experienced, so much healing and deliverance and um she can look back at the starting point of that in 2015 and she can identify how the lord started working in her when she was at the safe house um but it it took time there was so much that he wanted to do over the next 3 years um so last year um when i reconnected with her um you know, got to hear more about what that process had looked like. And, um, I only saw this tiny piece of it in the beginning of her story. Um, but the Lord was doing something so much bigger than I could have even imagined at that point. Um, so yeah. she's, she's wow. one of many, I think of, um, that, you know, you look at their situation and it just, it seems so bleak and hopeless and, um, you give it, a couple years or even a couple months and you would just be shocked at what the Lord can do with, um, someone who cries out to him. Um, so no one is Mm -hmm. too far gone. Yes. And that's a good reminder for all of us, no matter who we're praying for, no matter who we're walking alongside, no matter whose story looks or feels hopeless and we feel helpless that God is bigger and he is the God of the impossible. So I love that you've been able to see a life change and see him deliver her from what looked impossible to be delivered from. Mm -hmm. And I know you have more stories, Autumn. I wish we had time to keep telling them. What what about the person that's listening to podcasts that is thinking, you know, maybe I want to sew into the area of sex trafficking. Uh, We talk a lot about God's greater story around the world. And one of my prayers is that God will continue to send laborers into the harvest. And that harvest Mm -hmm. for someone might be in their United States, in their city, in their neighborhood. Uh, What, and then the harvest could be going as you went, but what would you say to the person who's feeling stirred up as a result of hearing and they want to serve in some way? Yeah. I would definitely say, uh, start praying. Um, it is not only the best place to start, but it's really vital to whatever you're going to end up doing. Um, 
to start with prayer one and asking the Lord where he would have you invest. Um, Cause I think that he is ready and excited to answer that question when we ask. Um, and two in praying for the, the people group or the area um, that he leads you to invest into before you do so. Um, I think it's really helpful and foundational to start praying. For example, when I felt like the Lord was leading me um, to the Middle East, I started praying for the region and the people groups within mm. it until it got narrowed mm-hmm. down to one people group in one nation. Um, mm. And I was able to start researching that people group so that I knew more about them and pray specifically. Um and mm-hmm. I think it laid a really, really vital foundation for me before actually going there um, mm-hmm. that was pivotal for my work. I wasn't um, I wasn't totally going in blind um, in a spiritual sense mm-hmm. because I think that the Lord had been imparting his heart to me for those people prior to me going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would just say pray and ask the Lord where he would have you invest. Um it's always great, especially if you're going to go overseas at some point, if you feel led to work with um, an unreached people group, it's great to start mm-hmm. at home um, and to, mm-hmm. to learn how to do these things, to engage in the needs of the people around you um, in your home environment, um, in your own neighborhood or wherever you are, wherever you can get plugged sure. in. Um, because a lot of these really foundational lessons can happen while you're starting at home without you having to acclimate to a foreign culture and a foreign language and, um, all everything that comes with, um, a, a drastically different religious and political climate and all the implications of living in a foreign country, um, haven't set in yet, but you're able to just start engaging the needs around you and, um, what it looks like to, give yourself to missions and ministry and um, to be sharing the gospel with people and learning how to meet needs effectively. And, um, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in there that you can learn uh, starting at home without adding all the complications of living in a foreign culture. So, um, yeah, I would say whether or not you're going to go overseas, it's always good to start at home um, and to just get your feet wet. Um, And if the Lord calls you to to move and to work with um, an unreached people group, say in the 1040 window of the world uh, after that, then you kind of have a foundation laid from there. Yeah. And, you know, I think the thing is because the harvest is plentiful and as we continue to ask God to show us how to be involved in the harvest, as you said, do the next thing wherever we are planted right now. Pray, look for ways to be part of um, engaging people. And in if there's a people group in your area, as you're saying, then start reaching out to them if God's laying someone another you know people group on your heart. And and yet we know that God calls some to go to the nations or, or to go, we're all called to the nations, but it's just how it looks in our, you know, it doesn't always mean we pick up and move our geography, but some of us might. Yeah. So, um, so I love your story, Autumn. I think you're a brave and courageous sister in Christ because you are following the Lord and you are shining as a light and holding out the word of truth. So thank you for encouraging us today. 
and for being on the Sacred Story podcast. I do want to mention to those of you who are listening as we hear Autumn's story of faith and surrender, we also want to um, think about those topics in our own story. And so we have a resource with Sacred Story called Living Your Story, 10 Biblical Principles That Matter. It's available on Amazon, and it's a 10-session Bible study where you can look into these topics, and you can just ask God to look into your heart and to show you um, how these topics are playing out and, and whether you are able to you know, live your story with obedience or with transformation or with your identity, what, where that is placed in your story or contentment. And so we'd love for you to take the journey through the study and also to be on our mailing list. So feel free to visit our site at sacredstoryministries.org and join our mailing list and we'll keep in touch as we continue to give ordinary yet brave women uh, like you, Autumn, an opportunity to share more. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.